Silver threads lay a glitter and sheen over their Christmas fantasy. They spring into star brilliance, or they lay satin smooth and mellow as a silver bell. We'll let the silver thread take us where it will, along a high road leading to a star, or down the detours of legendary back roads. But first, you ought to take the shortest route possible to a solution of those last-minute Christmas shopping problems from this friend of ours. Samuel became aware that the night was changing, and he saw that the ridge of hills was encrusted with highlights of silver, searching for the mysterious source of the midnight light. And far, far away, he saw the star. Samuel was far, far from the city of David, but without hesitation, he turned his face and steps toward the star. Because even from this far distance, Samuel hoped that he would reach in time the star that signaled the manger the angel voices had sung about. But there were delays he hadn't expected. The first night a woman ran out of a little mountain cabin and called to him. Her child was sick and near death with a strange fever, and could he help? And all night long, Samuel's big hands wise in the gentle ways of handling a hurt dog or a sick lamb, soothed and quieted the boy, and by dawn the fever was gone. But so too was some of Samuel's precious time. And the third night, he came upon a cart, hopelessly mired in a snowdrift, where an old man pried at it fruitily with long sticks. I fear my wife and I will freeze in this cold, the old man said unless I can get this cart on its way. My wife is quite unable to walk. Can you help us, stranger? And so again, Samuel helped, and another night was gone, and so it went, with fate seeming to contrive one obstacle after another to put into Samuel's path. Until when he at last was nearing the Bethlehem Hills, there came the night when the star was gone. Samuel stood quite still on the hillside, searching the sky. Should he give up? No, he determined that even without a star to guide him, he would sometime find this new prince of peace and pay him homage. 
Rumor told him the little family had fled from Herod into Egypt. And so to Egypt he went, and then back again to search for a carpenter shop. And through the years he followed the trail to a lake favored by fishermen, to a temple cleared of counting tables, and always, always, always one week, one day, one step too late. And yet, dedicated to his search, and his resolve to in some way serve this prince who would rule the hearts of men, he did not count the years, nor the sandals he had worn out, nor his lifetime vanishing. He never gave up. He never doubted but that one day his search would end. And so it did. His search came to an end on a spring day, on a hill called Calvary. At last he had found his prince, stripped of glory, jeered at by a crowd, Samuel edged determinedly through the throng. Perhaps still it was not too late. Perhaps still he could serve in some way. He saw the cross raised, and then he saw the man. He saw the nails in a soldier's hand, five nails, one for each hand, each foot, and the fifth nail for the heart. And he saw the nails driven in, and the blood started. Quickly, Samuel stooped and picked up the last nail. They should not drive this spike into the heart he had followed for a lifetime. When the soldiers looked around, the nail was gone, clenched tight in Samuel's fist. The soldier glared at the throng. All right, where is it? The nail. Someone here has it. Be wise and hand it over now. If I have to search you, the man who holds the nail will find he holds death in his hand. Samuel did not move when the search began. At last, the soldier came to him, and seeing Samuel's clasped hands, he cried triumphantly, What have you there? And Samuel, knowing it was no use, tried to lie. In the naive way of a shepherd, he stated simply, I have a bell in my hand, a small silver bell. Show me, demanded the soldier. Now I will die, Samuel thought. Now I will die and the spike will be driven in just the same. He felt that his life had been a great futility, finished with the biggest futility of all. He lifted agonized eyes to the cross and other eyes met his with what seemed a reassurance and a benediction. And Samuel opened his hands, and in his tight-clenched fist lay a little silver bell. Christmas makes you feel emotional. It may bring parties or thoughts Christmas time in the city.
street lights. Even stoplights blink a bright red and green. And the shoppers rush home with the treasures. Hear the snow crunch. See the kids bunch. Feel the Santa big clean. And above all this bustle you hear. Christmas tradition is a carol, mistletoe overhead, gifts under the tree. If you still have part of your traditional plans to complete, you can save time and money by visiting with this friend of ours. This rhyme and rhythm so expressive of the temper of our own times, our fears of war, and our hopes of peace. the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men, till ringing swinging on its way, the world revolves from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong, and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep, 
the wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. to give your holidays a bright patina of good cheer comes this suggestion from a friend of ours. Christmas fantasy, the only time during this series of Christmas fantasy programs, we will repeat an earlier story because now the children are home and perhaps they would enjoy hearing it also. So gather the youngsters around and I'll tell you a story. Christmas story is one of becoming modesty. It's the story of a dignified scholar, a professor who created a world of Christmas fantasy and warmth that became a classic even in his own time. But he refused to acknowledge that he had written it more than 20 years before. Partly out of thought that it was too trivial and partly because he didn't want the public spotlight on him. It was two days before Christmas back in 1822 in New York City. 1822, a pleasant year in our history. Everybody was optimistic. We had just come through a bad financial spell, but things were quieting down. James Monroe was president. At the time, New York consisted mostly of farms. There was very little rushing around, no subways or fast cars. Yes, the pace was slow. Relax. And for entertainment, well, people rolled their own, so to speak. They danced, they sang around the piano, they played party games. And as these were the days before television, they talked. The family was a close unit. And so it was two nights before Christmas in 1822 that Professor Clement Moore, age 43, was riding in a sleigh packed with Christmas gifts for his children. 
Ordinarily a serious, dignified student of religion and languages, he was caught up with a yuletide gaiety. As he rode by, he saw the candle lights in the window. He was on his way home from Midtown to downtown Manhattan, a neighborhood called Chelsea, and the snow was falling. The bells on old Dobbin tinkled as he pulled the sleigh. The musical background formed a pleasant backdrop to thoughts of the coming holiday. The rhythm of the bells had a primitive musical pattern. Ah, Christmas. If it only came more often, it had given him so much pleasure since boyhood. Maybe he could create some verses about the magic of Christmas for his children. And maybe he could read them. That certainly would be fun. Continuing on his way, Clement Seymour could hardly feel the stinging wind. The warmth of past Christmases filled his heart, and the glow came to his eyes as he recalled Christmas in the years gone by. Food, the Christmas feast of oysters, baked striped bass, monsters, mounds of stuffed beef, stuffed veal, roast turkey, chicken. Clement Moore, the man who gave much joy to the world, was born on July 15th. He gave himself completely to classical languages and became very proficient at them. He was also very musical and played both violin and organ with great feeling. Out of this love for his family and Christmas and the years came nine children, but only six had arrived by Christmas in 1822. When he got home, he got to work. And on Christmas Eve in 1822, with his family grouped around the fireplace, Professor Clement Moore cleared his throat and first uttered those magic lines which have become loved throughout the world. Was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were all nestled, all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. No way to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to the objects below, when what to my wondering eye should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. The little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. And more rapid than eagles, his courses they came, and he whistled and he shouted and he called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donder and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetops the courses they flew, with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. 
a bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke had encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. And he spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Dr. Clement Moore gave that to the Christmases of all time. For you and your children and my children and me. A lot of things will come to us this Christmas as in all Christmases. If we visit a friend of ours like this.
by the Yule log there are faces which will ever come and go as the fitful firelight traces scenes and friends of long ago. And tonight they are most tender in the firelight's dazzling splendor. There are features of a mother, fairest face I ever saw, and my sister's is another, faces seeming without flaw. And the love of old they bore me, like a blessing now sweeps o'er me. There are friends, a long procession. Each was cherished in his day. To their love they gave expression, then they quickly went away. Some were young, and some were old, but all to me were purest gold. Some gave money of their treasure, some gave wisdom of their wit, some gave labor without measure. All their gifts were seeming fit. And in the future we may meet them. When this earthly trail is done, in the shadow may we greet them at the setting of the sun. Free from grief and earthly scars, keeping Christmas with the stars.